Take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 2. As you're turning, I want to share greetings from uh, Brother Jim Price. I talked to him, I believe it was Monday or Tuesday uh, this week. They were in Manitoba, and uh, he wanted to ask me to greet the folks here. He also, uh, because they've been so busy and on the road, hadn't had a chance, but and I think he sent a letter as well, but he asked me to thank the church for the, uh, the Christmas gift uh, that we sent. Said it was a great blessing and a help. Be praying for uh, Brother Jim as they uh, continue travels and raising support. And I wanted to share that greeting with you. Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 4 through 10. I'm going to talk about four proofs of God's love. Four proofs. Now... There's a whole lot more than that. I was talking with Brother Colton uh, for a few moments this afternoon. We're talking about math. Uh, that's not a that's a weird Sunday afternoon discussion, mathematics. And we're talking about uh, calculus. That's an even weirder Sunday afternoon. Amen, Brother Maud. That's a weird afternoon discussion. And I was explaining a couple things and talking about proofs. And uh, I hated proofs. I hate proving anything in mathematics because when I did math, my brain isn't wired like everybody else's brain. Your brain works and my brain doesn't work. And uh, my circuits are wired all different. And uh, I can find the answer, but I don't follow the same path you, found, you followed to get it. And uh, I used to go back and forth with my math teacher over some of my proofs. Uh, and I would say, look, is my answer right or not? Yes, but you couldn't have got the answer the way you did it. I said, look, did I get the answer right or not? And we would go back and forth, and I, I probably should have been a little more uh, submissive to her. But uh, I, I didn't like showing proofs. God likes to show proofs. And by the way, he proves every day his love for you. His mercy is new every morning. Amen. Every morning when you see the sun come up, teenagers... Did you know that that thing, the, the, the bright thing up in the sky, it actually disappears at night and it comes back up early in the morning? Uh, it's not always in the sky, but when it comes up every morning, uh, it's a reminder that he rose from the dead, a reminder of his love for us. And we, we could look at hundreds and thousands of proofs tonight, but I just in this one little passage in Ephesians chapter 2, I want to take a few moments uh, just to enjoy uh, some time together in his word, uh, just to relish in what God's done. Uh, just to praise him, just to worship him tonight. Look with me here, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, for with he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Let's pray together. Lord, my heart tonight, my desire is that we would worship you and glorify you this evening. Lord, you're worthy of our praise. Lord, we get a few glimpses into heaven you've given us in your word. 
Lord, John would have written much more if you would have allowed him, but the few glimpses that you allowed John to give us, Lord, it seems every time I see through the windows of heaven, I see worship and I see praise. And Lord, tonight I pray as you taught the disciples to pray, would you make it a little bit like heaven on earth tonight? God, would you help us to worship you a little bit tonight the way we will worship you forever in heaven. Lord, someday we will bow before the throne and cry out with the angels and cry out with the saints of God, worthy is the Lamb. But Lord, tonight you're already worthy. Lord, thank you for your great love for us. Help us tonight, Lord, to direct our worship and our praise to you as we look at these proofs of your love for us. Help me, Lord, to preach you right your truth. God, may you be glorified. In your precious name we pray. Amen. What would God have to do to prove his love for you? What would it take for us to say, I know, I know without a doubt that God loves me. And Would it take more money? Would it take better health? Would it take greater happiness in your life? More comfort? A better job? A bigger house? A newer car? What would it take? March 31st, 1995, I think it was. I think that's right, maybe 94. My wife will correct me later. That was my birthday. By the way, there's just a few shopping days left to my birthday. Be aware of that. <laughs> but my wife and I had been dating. We had our first date December 7th, maybe, or 8th. And then this is March 31st. It was a little over three and a half months later. I met her that day as I was going out to go to work. And she gave me a cupcake. It was a Otis Spunkmeyer, I think. Uh, chocolate, double chocolate, I think. Chocolate chip, chocolate cupcake. She had a candle on it. Uh, you know, she couldn't bake a cake in her room, so she bought a cupcake. And did you give me something else that day? I don't remember. I don't think so. She's a cheapskate. And uh, she gave me that cupcake <laughs> and as a birthday gift. And that day... As I was driving to work, as I got in my 1977 Ford Granada piece of garbage, and as I was going to work, me and my buddies, I looked over at the fellow who was my best friend in Bible college. His name's Jeremy. I talked to him just a couple weeks ago. It was his, it was his birthday, actually, a couple weeks ago. I looked over at him, and I said, Jeremy, I'm going to marry Carrie. I'm going to... I'm going to ask her to marry me at Christmas, and we're going to get married next summer. And he said, does she know this? I said, no, but I'm going to tell her. Now, when my wife heard that story later, she decided it must have been the cupcake. So, so girls, that's the secret. you got to give the cupcakes. But the cupcake had nothing to do with it. Too many times, all the little things that we think we want from God, they have nothing to do with God's love. 
But I want us to look tonight at some things that do have everything to do with the love of God. Everything God does, everything God does, he does for a specific purpose. He, he does nothing without cause. He does nothing without purpose. His efforts to mankind are always, if we look in the, the account of creation in Genesis, all the way through the Old Testament into the New Testament, we see that God is always dealing with man to show man his love. Always. He, he, he loves us. He, he does nothing by chance. God does nothing in desperation. There's a wonderful old song, and part of that song goes, of you know, God searched through heaven looking for... God didn't search through heaven. I, I, I like the song. I, I understand the premise. Salvation was not a desperation move. God didn't have to scramble and back in the, the back. Oh, no, man, what am I going to do now? Man, sin. Where do I throw the ball? No, it was planned from eternity. It always was. God knew. So everything God does and everything God has ever done is for because he loves man. God never throws anybody away. For a little over a year now, God's put a burden on my heart. I'm going to have to do something about it pretty soon, but God's burdened me to, to do something that is pretty outside my normal wheelhouse. But I'm, I guess the Lord's going to, I'm either going to do it or God's going to kill me probably God's burdened me to write a book with that premise of don't throw them away we live in a culture today Christian culture where we give the gospel out and we try to reach people and so many churches if that person we reach is not the instant Christian that we think they ought to be if they don't look the way we think they ought to look and talk the way we think they ought to talk and do everything exactly the way we think they ought to in a couple of weeks, we want to toss them away and get started again. God doesn't do that. I love the story in the book of Jeremiah. In the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah went down to the potter's house and he looked through the window and watched the potter as he worked at the wheel. And he watched as the potter broke the vessel. But he didn't throw the clay away. He simply started again. Christian, we need to understand the love of God, that God doesn't throw you away. He doesn't throw me away. He desires to use us and to mold us and to make us. Now, does that mean that we're, I'm going to be able to do everything God has wanted me to do? There are times that because of some brokenness that I can't be all that God had wanted would want for me but that doesn't mean God throws me away I love the picture there of Jeremiah as he looks in the potter's house we look at God's love so often through what happens to us daily we look at it as wow something good happened today God loves me 
Oh, man, today was a bad day. Brother Maude fell on the stairs. Boy, it's a bad day. God must not love me. I'm a little worried. My enemy is now attacking you. We have the same enemy, the stairs. We look at, oh, this is good. Okay, I have a good day. This is bad. I've got a good day. Most of you probably know this. My family knows this for sure. If anyone asks me how I'm doing, what do I say, Rebecca? How are you? I say, I'm beautiful. Exactly. No, I'm not beautiful. But I've learned not to gauge how I'm doing according to what's happening in my life. God loves me. When I fall down the stairs, he still loves me. When I, when I disobey him, he still loves me. We look for God's love in the things that happen to us. And we say, God, why are you doing that? We question God. God answers back many times, I believe. Not audibly, but he answers back because I love you. Because I love you. I want to take just a few moments tonight, and I, I don't think I'll be lengthy this evening, but I want to share four thoughts, four proofs of God's love, and then I want to shift gears just a little bit for just a couple very small points into the message. Number one, we find this proof in our text. We're going to be looking just in Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 5. Would you look there with me? Ephesians 2, verse 4 and 5. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, for with he loved us even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ by grace. Are you saved? Proof number one, he quickened me. He quickened me. He made me alive. When I met Brother Bonnie ten and a half years ago, is that right? Brother Bonnie was a dead man walking. He was dead. He was lost. He grew up with a religious past, but he was lost. He believed the Bible, but he was lost. He believed who Jesus was, but he was lost. But just a little over 10 years ago, God took a dead man and he made him alive. Your testimony tonight, Christian, if you are born again, child of God, is you were dead. You were dead in trespasses and sins. But he quickens you. When I was in grade 7, I came home from school one day. I walked down the hallway of our home, down the hallway past the bathroom, past the laundry in the hallway, and in my room was on the left, my sister's room, my room. I walked out of my room. When I walked out of my room to go back down the hallway, I looked, and there in the middle of the hallway was a tennis ball. Now I'm a hillbilly. I guarantee you there was no tennis racket, brother, within 100 miles of my house. There was not a tennis ball there because I played tennis. There was a tennis ball on my floor because I had a dog, Boston Terrier. And I looked down the hallway, through the living room, into the kitchen, and laying in the kitchen floor was my dog, stone cold asleep. How many have ever heard a Boston Terrier snore? They sound worse than Pastor Rice snoring, and I'm pretty bad. He was snoring. He was out of it. And in my little juvenile 
12-year-old brain, I hatched a plan. I thought, how cool would it be to line up that tennis ball, kick the tennis ball down the hallway, hit the dog, wake him up. I mean, that's, that sounds fun, doesn't it? So that's my plan. So no shoes on in the house. You know, I ran back to kick the tennis ball, and I kicked it about three inches before you got to the tennis ball on the ground. My big toe snapped in half. The bone broke, and the bone went through the toenail. Blood began to forcefully... Colton, you having, you having trouble yet? I know it's... He's, a, he's very visionary when he hears. Blood is spraying, and I began to scream. My loving mother, she's probably watching still, uh, she yelled at me to be quiet. She might have even said a, a real foul word like, shut up. I don't know what she said, but she's, what's wrong with you? Be quiet. What are you screaming about? My dad was on the roof of our house. He was working on fixing the roof on the back porch. My dad heard my scream through the roof. And he knew something was horribly wrong. My dad jumped off the roof. I don't mean he took the ladder. He jumped off the roof, came in the house, came in, and there I am. Blood squirting. They took me to the hospital. They had to kind of almost kind of set my toe a bit. And they had to cut the rest of the toenail off. And then they had to stitch because the bone went through the toe. They had to stitch the quick, what we call the, the meat underneath the nail. They had to put stitches across that. Now, there's a reason they call that quick. There, there's no doubt. There's some feeling there. And I remember that my dad holding me down, the nurses holding me down, and that was just to get the needle near me, Brother Maud. I hate needles. And they're stitching that quick. It's very much alive. You and I were dead, in Christ, dead without Christ. But he made us very much alive. How do I know God loves me? A lot of reasons, but I can look here in this passage and tell you tonight that God loves me because he quickened me. He made me alive. He gave me spiritual life. He's quickened us in Christ Jesus, the Bible says. Letter E there, he quickened us in Christ Jesus. It's an expression of his mercy and his love towards us. In verse 4, we were dead in sins. In verse 5, we were hell bound. Ephesians 2, 1 says, and you. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. We've been made alive. I like the way Matthew Henry says it. Matthew Henry, uh, commentator of years gone by. Matthew Henry said, grace is the soul. Grace in the soul is a new life in the soul. As death locks up the senses, seals up all the powers and faculties, so does the state of sin. As to anything that is good, grace unlocks and opens all and enlarges the soul. Observe, a regenerate sinner becomes a living soul. Praise God for that. 
He lives a life of sanctification, being born of God. He lives in the sense of the law, being delivered from the guilt of sin by pardoning and justifying grace. He hath quickened us together with Christ. Our spiritual life, Mr. Henry said, our spiritual life results from our union with Christ. It is in Him that we live. As Jesus said, because I live, He shall live also. How do I know He loves me? From this passage, because He made me alive. He gave you life. He gave you spiritual life. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. How can we question the love of God? When He said, I love you this much. Oh, I wanted more, God. He gave you everything. He gave everything that you and I might be alive. That we might have life eternal. Greater love hath no man than this, the Bible says in John 15. That a man lay down his life for his friends. Romans 5, 8, but God, and I love this verse, probably one of my top Ten favorite verses in the Bible. But God committeth his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not while I was getting better. Not once I became spiritual. Not once I cleaned up my life. But while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for us. I didn't have to improve myself. Matter of fact, it wouldn't have made a difference if I did. I didn't have to prove to him I was lovable. Why? I'm not lovable. He decided to love me. He loved me as I was. He died for the ungodly. By the way, he died for those that we wouldn't die for. When you think of the, the most evil and vile people in our world and in the past, we think of people like Timothy McVeigh. Became popular this last year. And uh, pop culture. Can I tell you that as wicked and vile as the crimes that Mr. McVeigh committed. He, I'm sorry, Mr. Dahmer and Mr. Mr. McVeigh bombing the tower. Uh, Mr. Dahmer, who I was thinking of, who killed and ate people and stored body parts, as wicked as all that was. God said, I, I'm, I want to make available to him salvation. Had he trusted Christ? Charles Manson. The vilest person you can think of in the world that we go, oh, that, pff, that's wicked. You know what God says? I love them. I love them. He wants to make them whole. He wants to quicken them. We live in a system that knows nothing of love. We know a perverted understanding of love. But I want to assure you tonight that God loves you. And he doesn't love you because he wants to get something from you. He doesn't love you because he, he's, he's trying to uh, earn something. He just loves you. And his love isn't temporary, it's everlasting. It's forever and forever and forever and forever. How many of you have ever eaten something that you love so much, you ate so much of it, it made you sick and you didn't want to eat it again? You ever been there? What was it, Josh? My food? <laughs> well, as a boy, I, I like sauerkraut. How many of you like sauerkraut? We made sauerkraut when I was a boy. I like sauerkraut. 
I think sauerkraut's awesome, Brother Mike. It's good stuff. I still like it. But as a young boy, about nine years old, I decided to eat a whole jar of sauerkraut. And I ate a whole jar of sauerkraut. I should have good gut bacteria the rest of my life, Brother Krim. I was sick. I was real sick. I mean sick, sick, sick. I didn't want to eat sauerkraut for a long time. God never gets sick of you. He loves us with an everlasting love. For Sean 4, whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, dwelleth God dwelleth with him, and he and God. And we know and believe the love that God hath to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. God's proven his love through the Son, Jesus Christ. Number two. The number two proof we find here in this passage quickly tonight. Which we find in verse 6. And he hath raised us up together and made us set together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Proof number two tonight. He raised me up. He raised me up. He raised you up. You know, remember when Jesus Christ was nailed to that cross, all of my sin, all of your guilt and my guilt and your sin and my sin was placed on Him. All of it. I don't believe for one second that Jesus made a limited atonement. Those that would try to pervert the gospel to say that Jesus only died for a certain portion of sin. Can I tell you that if that were true, then Jesus Christ is a liar. And we ought to burn this book. Because he said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If the Bible doesn't mean that, if, if it doesn't mean everybody, if there's someone who, no, he didn't die for your sin, he died for yours and not for yours, then God's a liar. And he's a charlatan, and he can't be trusted. Rather, he died for all. He bore all sin, every bit of it, all of sin. It was, it was on him on the cross. It was, hold on, when he came off of that cross, was buried with him, was buried with him. I remember, I believe it was my grandmother's funeral, my dad's mom that I preached back in 90, it was 98. My wife and I have been married a few years. I think my memory's right. I remember at the funeral, my, my cousins, I remember them all taking a note and folding that note up, placing that note in the casket. To be buried with her. Can I tell you when Jesus was placed in that tomb. Your sin was placed there with him. The sin that he bore on Calvary. He took to the tomb. So pastor what's the big deal about that? What's the big deal about Jesus. Taking my sin to the tomb. Because he didn't stay there. He rose again. He, 
he rose again, meaning that sin was put ever behind him. In the book of Psalm chapter 103, verse 8, it says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dwelt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we are but dust. Look at verse 6 again in our text. It says, And hath raised us up together, and made us set together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I want you to notice that phrase, hath raised us up together. Can I tell you those that know the English language better than I do will tell you that that phrase there uh, is something that is past tense. Not he's going to, but he already did. He hath raised us up. So preacher, when did that happen? When did he raise me up? Three days and three nights after they placed the body of our lovely Lord on the ground, when he rose again, you were raised with him. I was raised with him. He was raised incorruptible. Guess what, Christian? I was raised incorruptible in him. I know he loves me. I see the proof of his love. He, he quickened me. He made me alive. He raised me up with him. If you will, I was nailed to that cross with him. I was buried with him. I was risen with him. He brought within the redemption our new creation. I'm not just saved from hell. And I praise God I'm saved from hell. I'm glad I'm not going to hell. But can I tell you, can I tell you tonight that salvation is not just fire insurance from hell. I, I'm glad that I, there's no chance that I can go to hell. I had, I had two people yesterday tell me to go to hell. Brother Mud, I had one person tell me to do things that were physically impossible. I had, had some very rude people yesterday. But two different people told me to go to hell yesterday. That was their words. Now, I didn't say it. I, 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 here's what I said. I said, God bless you. <laughs> that was my answer as I was trying to get my gospel track. But what I wanted to say was I couldn't go to hell if I wanted to. Amen. Sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry you want me to go there, but I can't go. I, I have, I'm saved from hell, but I am saved to heaven. I am raised up. And Christian, let's not forget what we have. Let's worship him. Let's praise him for what he's done as we see his love. I'm made alive. I am risen with him. What a wonderful thing. He's forgiven me. He's pardoned me. He's regenerated me. He's adopted me. He's cleansed me. He's given me a home in heaven. He, he's with me. He's never leave me, never forsake me. And one day he's going to come back and say, Hey, come up here. And I'm going. How wonderful. I'm risen with him. All of this is done in Christ Jesus. So here's the question. Why do we live like we're part of this world? Why do we live like the people of earth? When Carrie was giving birth to Rebecca, it was a very 
very traumatic experience. It was very difficult. It was very dangerous few moments. The doctor came, tried one last procedure, and she told me, she said, Mr. Rice, if this doesn't work right here, right now, on this bed in this room, I am doing emergency cesarean section. It was some tense moments. I, I deal with tense moments with humor. Maybe you've understood that about me. But our doctor, she walked in and she had this, you'd almost thought COVID was in the air. She had a mask on. She had this plastic shield on. She had rubber gloves on. She had her hands up like this. And she was a, I can't remember what nationality she was, maybe East Indian, I think, lady, little lady. She came in and she looked like some kind of alien creature because of all the stuff she had on. And she walked in like this. And uh, quietly to the two nurses that were with me, I said, take me to your leader. Uh, they thought it was funny. She didn't think it was funny at all. Uh, Rebecca thought it was funny. She was laughing in the womb, but they didn't think it was funny. <laughs> Carrie was punching me. But Now, we joke about, you know, oh, not of this world, you know, something extraterrestrial. I think they've been shooting down on UFOs here the last couple weeks. Anyway, you and I, we're not of this world. We are not terrestrial. We are extraterrestrial. We belong to heaven. I've already been raised up in him. There's no reason for me to live like I belong. I, I, I've been made an heir of God, joint heirs with Christ. Eternity is my time frame. So many things we could go into tonight, but we see the love of God in him raising us up. Number three here in our text. Look at verse 7. Verse 7 of Ephesians chapter 2. Then in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. Number 3 tonight, we see here that he shows grace. He shows kindness. Now, if... I'll let Brother Eric be God tonight. His wife would never hear the end of it if he got to be God. But if Brother Eric were God, and somebody came up and smacked him in the face. I mean, just pop! Brother Eric's a mild-mannered, genteel gentleman. But I have a feeling if you pop Brother Eric in the face one too many times, he's not going to show grace and kindness. There's going to be a point, like, like Popeye. How many of you remember Popeye? Uh, but Mark, you said your dad said Popeye was your favorite. That was my favorite cartoon as a kid. Popeye's chicken. <laughs> That's my favorite chicken now. But Popeye was my favorite cartoon as a kid. And Popeye had the phrase... I've stood all I could stand, and I can't stand no more. And he'd be pushed just to the edge until finally he was ready to fight. Let's just be real honest. If you were God and you had to deal with you, there would come a point. The point would have come a long time ago where I would have said, Brian Rice, you're done. And yet God shows me grace. He shows me kindness. Amen. What is grace? God's riches at Christ's expense. 
Grace, getting something good I do not deserve. Kindness, why? Not because of who you are, but because of who he is. How wonderful here. He might show the exceeding riches of his grace. Not just here. Here's a little bit of grace. The exceeding riches of his grace and kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. Here we see his love for the present and all for the future. It's not I want to give you something now, but not later. He wants to give us all throughout our relationship with him and through all eternity grace, kindness. God shows his love every day. Every day. It is of his mercies that we are not consumed. Mr. Edwards, Jonathan Edwards, that preached during the Great Awakening. Mr. Edwards, who typed out or wrote down, not typed, he, he wrote down his messages. He was very poor of seeing. He would write his messages out word for word. He was not an orator. He was not a great public speaker. He would write out word for word his message. And it's said of Mr. Edwards that he would bend his head where he was face to face. Probably, probably have macular degeneration, some sort of vision problem. And she would get very close to his notes and he would read them. It's said in a monotone voice, Brother Mon. It wasn't about the preaching of Jonathan Edwards. It was about the Holy Spirit of God that led Mr. Edwards to preach the Holy Book of God. And as Mr. Edwards would preach his famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, people, not at the invitation, during the service, sinners would crawl on their hands and knees to the altar, begging God to save them. But in his message, he said that we are as a sinner, we are but held by the very spider thread above the very pit of hell. At any moment, could be plunged headlong. Can I tell you, that's where I was. But that's not where I am. Now I have His grace. Now I have His kindness. How wonderful that is. How wonderful that we have the proof of his love. By the way, that grace and kindness speaks of safety. Speaks of assurance. I've been in some dangerous places. I've been in some places that were very, very dangerous. I joke with people once in a while, some of the worst parts of Edmonton. I've been in playgrounds that were more dangerous than Edmonton. I, I've, I've been in some scary situations. I've been in some dangerous situations. But those times I've been in dangerous situations, it was because and while I was sharing the gospel. And I'll be real honest with you, there's never been a time when I've been in a dangerous place sharing the gospel when I've been fearful. Probably because I'm just a, a dummy. But I, I just knew I'm supposed to be here. <laughs> The Lord knows. If he wants me here, then I'm supposed to be here. I remember going in a building, and as I went to go in the building, the police in the police station at the bottom of the building looked at me and said, don't go in here. If you go in that elevator and you do not come back, Chicago police, they told me, we will not come look for you. 
We don't care what happens to you after you go in that door. We're not coming up there. Just so you know, you're on your own. That's not good. Why? Because I like dangerous situations? No, because I needed to share the gospel in that building. Can I tell you that God's grace and kindness are enough? Does that mean that I'm always going to be safe? No. But it means I'll always be where God wants me to be. I'll always be in his will as long as I trust him. By the way, Peter, when he was crucified upside down, he was in God's hand. So, but pastor, hold on a minute. That's pretty dangerous. That, that's not a good thing. He glorified God even in death. We get so hung up on our perceived safety and our perceived enjoyment of life that we forget that it's about God's glory, God's blessing. We see his kindness. We see his grace. The Bible says in Jude, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. By the way, let me, let me stop here just a moment. This isn't the message. But just in case there's anybody here that's struggling with this understanding of eternal security, if you think that you can lose your salvation, then you think God is not able. The Bible tells us right here he's able. Now, what does it say about God if he's able to keep you and he doesn't? Either he's a liar or he's evil. True? One of those things has to be true. So for me to believe, I'd have to throw away so many doctrines, but for me to believe that I could lose my salvation, I've got to either accept that God is evil or God is a liar. That's it. There, there, there's, you can't rectify it any other way. He's able. He's able to keep me from falling, to present me faultless before the presence of glory with exceeding joy. Jude 25, to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. Amen. Number four, lastly tonight, verse number 10 in our text, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto Good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Number four tonight is we see the next proof of God's love for us. He created you. Not only did he create you, but he created you for good works. Good works. For good works. I, I, I love this thought. And number one, we're his workmanship. We're his workmanship. I haven't for years, but years ago I used to build, I used to do some bowyering. How many of you know what bowyering is? Brother Darren's done some bowyering. Uh, I, I used to build longbows. And I several years ago now, probably 16, 17, 18, 19, maybe 19 years ago, I decided to build one for my dad. 
and I didn't use fiberglass. I used God's fiberglass. How many of you know what God's fiberglass is? Bamboo. And I, I did a tri-lamb bow, and I built it out of the front of the bow, the side when you pull the bow, the side people see facing away from you was raw bamboo. And then two other laminations glued together in a coal and a form. And uh, after I glued it into the shape I wanted, then I, I cut it down to shape and profiled and sanded. And I finished that bow. I created it. I crafted it. I wrote, I think, on the top bottom limb or top limb, I can't remember, facing the person holding the bow, Two letters inside of quotation marks. A P and an A. How many of you know what that stands for? Paul. That's what I call my dad most of the time. I call him Paul. One time we were out soul winning together 20 years ago in a church van in West Virginia. And I said something. I called my dad Paul. And as I got out, one of the men said, Marcus, I... Is your first name Paul? I always thought your first name was Marcus. Uh, but I wrote Paul on that bow. I, I created it. It was crafted by me. It was a gift I gave to my dad. Now, most likely that bow will never be worth millions of dollars uh, because I'm not a sought-after bowyer. I'm not a well-known crafter of bows. Because I made it has no intrinsic value to anyone else except my dad. However, there are some things in this world that are much more valuable because who made them? Many years ago, I was sent a gift from a man that I never, I've still never met. A man that I had helped with something I met online and he decided to send me a gift. He was driving through the area where I grew up, and general area, probably within 10 miles as the crow flies across the river from where my family live. And he stopped in a little country store, little everything store, gas station. Uh, as Lois knows what I'm talking about, little general store of everything. They don't exist much up here, but little place, probably half the size of this building inside. And just a little bit of everything, you go in, you can get a few things, and that's it. In the back of the building, there was a, a little wood-burning stove, a little pot-belly stove, and some chairs where you go and sit and play checkers, that kind of place down south. Most of you have no idea what I'm talking about. But anyway, they, there in that area near the wood-burning stove and the checkers, there was an old tub. I think it was an old uh, bin of some kind, maybe a vegetable bin, maybe an old barrel, actually, come to think of it, he told me, but there's a bunch of just old things in there, and there was an old knife, an old hunting knife, and this guy saw that old hunting knife in this little general store in this little town near where he knew that I was from that area, and he thought, I want to do something nice to pay him back. He paid a few bucks, maybe 20, 30, maybe 50 bucks, I don't remember, he bought this old knife. It was in a ratty sheath that was falling apart. The knife was pitted and old. And he sent it to me as a gift, and I, I was overwhelmed. That's really neat. That's really awesome, really cool old knife. And thanks to the wonders of the Internet and the interwebs, I began to look, and there was a name on the knife. The name was Morseth. 
I began to Google Mr. Morseth. I began to look for the knives that he created that looked like that. And I began to learn something that caused me to message that man and say, Sir, I cannot accept this gift. I, I need to mail it back to you. I realized that that knife, although it was rough and although it was a little ugly and although the sheath was falling apart, it was very valuable. Not because of its condition. It was very valuable because who made it. And I told the man, I said, sir, I'm sending this back to you. I said, I can't accept this gift. It's worth a lot of money. And he said, if you mail it back to me, I'm going to send it back up. He said, I bought it for you. I only paid whatever it was for it. He said, it's yours. And I told him, I said, sir, I'm not going to sell it. I said, I'll keep it uh, as a reminder of your love and you know, appreciation, the gift he sent me. Several years later, a friend who's a custom knife maker stole it from my house and made it look brand new again, and his wife made a custom sheath for it. That didn't add value to the knife, but the value, as far as the world's concerned for that knife, is because of the man, the famous man that made it. That's its value. Christian, can I tell you your value? You were created by him. The master. The master made you. The creator of all things. I have his love because he signed me. His signature. He made me. He made you in his image. I was made by God. I was his workmanship. I've been created in Christ Jesus. And notice the phraseology here in Ephesians 2. Unto good works. Created, by the way, means you didn't just happen. It was purposed. It was planned. I was created in Christ for a specific purpose. I need to find out what that is. Ephesians 4.11 in our text, or just a few verses away, a couple chapters away, says, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. God has something for you. He made you. Your worth is because of him, not because of you. These good works we have mentioned here have been preordained or foreordained by God. Titus chapter 3 and verse 8 says, this is a faithful saying. And these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. I want to make a statement. If you have a pen, I encourage you to write it down. I believe a, a powerful statement about this truth. Notice in our text here, we were created, Christian, you and I were created to walk in these good works. Don't miss that. You and I were created to walk in these good works. So, listen to this statement. They await your doing. God created you to walk in those works. 
Can I tell you that they're waiting on you? They await you to do them. They await me to do them. By the way, when I do obey the Lord Jesus Christ, when I follow Him, when I honor Him in my life, I am realizing every step, every work, everything I do is a reminder, God loves me. God loves me. I've got a dear friend who got saved out of serious alcoholism and drunkenness and drugs and horrible, horrible life. Him and his wife, before they got saved, they used to get high on drugs and get angry at each other and shoot at each other with pistols in the house. And I don't mean they were pretending. I mean, they were trying to kill each other. But they would get so high on drugs that amazingly God spared them. They didn't. Several times they tried to kill each other. Somewhere tonight, Brother Hicks is standing behind the pulpit like this, preaching the word of God as an evangelist in the southern U.S. Every time he opens the Bible and lays on the pulpit, it's a reminder. He used to be laying down lines of cocaine. He used to be laying down empty beer bottle after empty beer bottle. He used to be picking up the pistol and trying to kill his dear wife. Praise the Lord. God created him and ordained him to walk in good works. It's a reminder, Christian. I give that example because it's easy for you to see and, and see the difference. But I hope tonight you understand that the difference is in you as well. It's in you as well. So, Pastor, I, I was never a drunkard. I, I was never a drug addict. I never tried to kill my wife. Well, maybe I tried to kill my wife. But I, I, I didn't do those things. Remember, you were dead in trespasses and sins. He made you alive. He didn't just make you alive to make you a scarecrow to do nothing. God made you alive unto good works. And they're waiting for you to do them. Just a couple of thoughts as we close here tonight. How do we walk in good works? How do we walk in good works? Very, very quickly. By showing gratitude for redemption. By showing gratitude for redemption. Giving him praise for what he's done for us. For dying on the cross. For giving our sin. Placing us in the heavenlies. What if you were unsaved on your way to hell tonight? That's where you'd be without Jesus Christ. How do we walk in good works? By showing gratitude for redemption. Next, number two, by surrendering to sanctification. By surrendering to sanctification. I shared the story of my big toe breaking in half. They had to stitch it up. I didn't want them to stitch it up. I didn't want to surrender to have it stitched up. My dad and a bunch of nurses had to hold me down so they could stick needles in me and then they could sew me up. But it needed to be done. It had to be done. You and I need to surrender to letting God set us apart and sanctify us for his purpose. 
to the growth process. First Peter or Second Peter chapter one verse five. I'm not going to turn there tonight, but virtue, on knowledge, on temperance, on patience, on godliness, on brotherly kindness, on love. We need to surrender to that process. Number three, how do we walk in good works? I'm going to close with this thought tonight. By serving. By serving in all areas of good works. What is it God wants you to do? Not what is it God wants the pastor to do. Not what is it God wants your spouse to do or your your child to do or, or Brother Colton to do. What's God want you to do? Hey, teenager, what's God want you to do? Oh, I'm just a teenager. <coughs> David, a teenager, walked down in the valley of Elam and said, you will not defy my God. He affected his whole country. His whole country. Young married couple, what's God want you to do? Older couple here tonight, maybe your kids are grown. What's God want you to do? What is it God wants you to do? Has he set something aside that he said, okay, I've got some works for you to do. At least once a week, sometimes a couple times a week, Colton and I will sit in my office, our office now, And I'll say to Colton, hey, here's some things I want you to do this week. He'll pull out a notebook. Okay. I'd like to get this, 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 and this done. Here you go. Now, I may ask him, hey, did we get that done? Is that, but that's not my work. That's his work. I believe God has work for you. He has good works for us. He's got them set aside. He created you unto good works. When God calls, just like little Samuel, the day's gone by. Won't you answer? What do you want, Lord? Okay. You know why you don't want to answer? Because you don't want to do what God wants you to do. I know. You know why? Because I don't always want to do what God wants me to do. How do we walk in good works? By serving in every area. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the opportunity tonight to walk in the works that you've prepared for us. Lord, we could spend so long talking about the proofs of love that you have for us. Lord, I praise you. I thank you. I want to worship you tonight for your goodness and your love. As well, Lord, tonight, I want us to walk in those works you have for us. Lord, I believe with all my heart tonight that you have prepared some works for every one of us. And, Lord, a lot of them don't get done. Because you prepared them for us, for no one else. God, would you help us to be surrendered tonight? Help us to walk in them. Help us to surrender to sanctification. Help us to praise you for our redemption. God, may we walk in that love.
that you've proven over and over and over again in scriptures. Lord, would you be glorified tonight during this time of invitation as we set aside some time just to worship you, to praise you, to yield to your purpose. May that be the case. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Remember Colton. Let's sing together. 301. Only trust him. Number 301. you're so good to us Lord we offer our praise and our worship to you for you're worthy of it Lord may we do more than sing your praises may we do more than lift up your name in this place with our brothers and sisters in Christ but may we publish your name among the heathen may we speak of your goodness every day may we be reminded of your love as we tell others of it. And God, may we find those works that you have for us. May we pick it up on our shoulder. And may we walk in that path and that plan that you have made just for us. How wonderful that purpose, that fulfillment. Bless us now, Lord. In your precious name we pray. Amen. John chapter 3 and verse 16. I want to talk to you just for a few minutes this morning about the greatest gift. The greatest gift. John 3.16, the Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave. I want you to notice that word in particular, that he gave. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Let's pray together. Lord, I sure thank you for your great love. 
Lord, we thank you this morning for the wonderful songs we could sing, remembering the fact that you came. Lord, I pray now as we pause to open your word, as we pause to think about that great gift, Lord, that you'd work in our hearts and our lives. Lord, I pray if there be one here this morning that has never received the greatest gift, Lord, I pray even today, Lord, there be the day that they would realize that you gave that gift for them, that they'd receive it, knowing the love of God that drew salvation's plan to open wide the door of forgiveness and salvation and freedom for them. Lord, may those here this morning who, by testimony, could say, I've received God's great gift, may we be grateful, may we worship you, may we thank you, May we pause this morning just to remember the goodness of God. God, help me this morning. I need your help. Bless us now. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Before I begin, I want to share just a quick testimony. We had the privilege, a few of us last night, to travel up, yesterday to travel up to Cold Lake. And uh, they, Brother Yeleny, did a community uh, dinner, Christmas dinner something they'd never done before and they had many 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 visitors I think they had about 140 people there and uh, just a phenomenal phenomenal time they did a great job of just showing the love of Christ the community our family got to sing and I got to preach last night but uh, I wanted to share that with you what a blessing it was to be a part of that and to get to partner with them yesterday evening and having said that, we got home a bit late last night, so if I say something out of sorts today, just chalk it up to lack of sleep. It'll be okay. But we've traveled a little bit in the last couple of days. Thursday morning, my family traveled to Rosebud, Alberta, about three and a half hours away. And I would say that I, I made it in two hours, but I was driving by the Mark's car, and I don't want him to know that I was driving 200 kilometers an hour. <laughs> but we went to Rosebud, and... We spent the day and the evening there, and we went to Drumheller and traveled home. So about 700 kilometers Thursday and Friday and 700 kilometers yesterday. We've moved a little bit the last couple of days. But while we were down in Drumheller, we stopped at the Hoodoos and went walking and got some pictures, and a couple of the guys went and climbed on top of the mountain. Uh, Josh almost died. John, I think, died three times coming off the mountain. And when we were getting ready to leave, there was a couple of European ladies, and I don't I say European because I know I know they weren't from Canada. I knew it was a European accent. I could not tell you where from, but I had trouble understanding them. And because I speak hillbilly, they had trouble understanding me too. And one of the ladies, as they were taking a picture, one of the ladies said, uh, "Would you take our picture?" And I I understood. Oh yeah. So they gave me the camera, and they went up on the hill there, and I got their picture and took a couple of pictures for them. And when they came down, I reached in my pocket and I said to the lady who I gave her camera back, I said, hey, I, I want to give you a gift. And I handed her one of our tracks, our gift tracks, and she looked at me and she said, oh, oh I couldn't take that. I, oh, no, you couldn't, you can't, no, I can't take a gift. And I said, no, I want you to have it. It's a gift from our church. And she looked, now, I'm pretty sure she thought it was a Visa debit card and <laughs> she thought I was giving her money. And she took it, and as I walked away, she was started to open and was reading. But I say, hey, I just want to give you a gift. This morning, I want to talk to you about the greatest 
gift. And John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave. Probably today, maybe tomorrow, for sure, probably tomorrow and maybe sometime this week, you will either give or be a recipient of a gift. Some of you are hoping you get good gifts. Uh, some of you are probably going to be sadly wrong because you've misbehaved this year. But you're hoping for a gift or you want to give a gift. And We've given lots of gifts. We've received lots of gifts. But I want to talk to you about the greatest gift. The greatest gift is Jesus Christ. The greatest gift is God's Son who came for us. As we turn our eyes this morning just for a little while upon the God of heaven, the God who is our creator, who knows everything about us, and yet he said, I love you so much that I want to give. I want to give you just a few very, very simple thoughts this morning. Number one, God's gift to man is expensive. God's gift to man is expensive. I've received some expensive gifts in life. I've received some inexpensive gifts in life. I remember when I was a young college student, I was, I think I was 19 years old. I had a 1961 Ford station wagon. And I had a lady ran through a red light in Chicago and T-boned the side of my car. And, I mean, she they had to cut her out of the car because I wasn't a 61 Ford. I didn't get hurt at all. But my car was damaged. And I literally, I took the license plate off, Brother Jim. I got my toolbox out of the back, and I left it there in Chicago. I just, what am I going to do? I, I didn't have full coverage insurance. This lady hit me, had no insurance. I just left it in the, it was bad part of Chicago. I had no car. That Sunday, I, I went and I was on a bus to pick some families up to come to our church. And We had a lady, a single mom, uh, who had two kids, sweet lady. She lived a ways away from North Chicago, but she would drive down on the north side of Chicago and meet our bus. And uh, She was a wonderful lady. And she got to the bus and she said, Brother Brian, where's your car? Because my car was very noticeable. It was a 1961 Ford wagon, fins on the back, rust-colored paint, rust-colored rust, uh, 17 feet of glass. And I said, oh, I said, uh, my car got totaled. She said, you don't have a car? I said, no, ma'am. I said, I, I don't have one right now. Later that day, she said, okay. She said, uh, I, I'm going to take you. I'm gonna, we're going to buy you a car. And I said to her, I said, you can't do that. I said, I can't let you buy me a car. I, I said, I'm not, I'm not, we're not going to do that. So no, no, I want to buy you a car. And I said, ma'am, I said, I, I just can't. I, I, can't I can't let you buy me a car. I should have let her buy me a car, but I, I didn't. <laughs> My reasoning was, that's, that's, that's too much of a gift. I, I can't receive that expensive of a gift. And I just, I know I can't, I can't accept that from you. But we've all received different gifts. But the most valuable gift, the most expensive gift ever paid for was the gift of salvation. Amen. The Bible says he gave his only begotten son. I've got three daughters. 
Now, I would. I hope I don't have to, but if I had to, I would give my life for them without even questioning it. I, I wouldn't even have a second thought. But there's nobody in this room and nobody outside of this room that I would let them die for. Not one. I, I love you, but I would not let my children die for you. I, I, I believe we ought to love the world, but I, I wouldn't do that. But God did. God did. His only begotten son. It's an expensive gift. An expensive gift. We can't put a price tag on that. But God said that he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The most precious thing in heaven. Heaven's wonderful. I'm glad by the gyms here this morning, years ago, I went down and preached a couple's banquet. I don't know if you remember or not. We came down and preached at Vision. And Brother Jim asked me if I was going to be going to a pastor's conference the next month. I made a comment to him. And I said, well, I said, I don't think so. I said, unless the Lord chips off a piece of the pavement in heaven and sends it to me, I said, I don't think I have money to go. And about a week later, I got a, I got a gift from Vision Baptist Church. There was a, a check in there with some money for us to go to a pastor's conference. And there was a rock. It's in my office now. A rock that was spray, spray painted with gold paint. And a note from Jim that said, hey, just wanted to send you a little bit of the streets of heaven uh, so you guys could go. Now, we joke about the streets of heaven. They're made of gold. I mean, imagine just the streets. Uh, I want to get a job as a, as a road repairman in heaven. I'm just going to take it all home every day. Gates of pearl. How many of you ladies like pearls? They're nice. Imagine a pearl so big you could walk through it. Uh, that'd be a, be a rough necklace to wear, but it'd be beautiful. I've bought some pearls for my wife before. You know what I learned, Brother Jim? Pearls are valuable. They don't give them away. The I buy our plastic ones now, so they're a lot cheaper. <laughs> but there's some valuable things in heaven. But I have no question that the most valuable thing in heaven is Jesus Christ. There's no question. And God gave his most valuable thing to you, his only begotten son. What if Christ had not come? There'd be no Christmas season. For truly Jesus is the reason for the season. There'd be no Savior. You'd be lost still. And you would have no hope. I'd have no hope. There'd be no way to escape. The gift was crucified on a cross that was expensive. Number two this morning, I said the gift to man is expensive. And this is going to sound uh, like I'm saying the opposite thing, but hear me out for a moment this morning. Number two, God's gift to man is free. So, Pastor, how is that possible? How can it both be expensive and free at the same time? Because a gift can only be accepted or rejected. I'll pick on Bond because I like picking on Bond. Tomorrow morning, Bond, do you think you're going to get any gifts for Christmas? I didn't think so. You've really misbehaved this year. I, uh, but if perchance, by some miracle, tomorrow your parents decide to give you a gift, you know, something small, I don't know, maybe a grain of rice in a box. Bond gets up tomorrow morning and by a miracle, 
a Christmas miracle, he has a present. And it says right on there, it's for him. And he goes and he's going to open the present. And his dad stops him. Whoa, 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 whoa. You can't open that yet. Give us $100 first. He'd be like, what are you talking about? You give me $100, you can have the present. That's not a present. No, if by some Christmas miracle, Bond gets a Christmas present tomorrow, you don't have to pay for it. Even if your parents say so, Bond, it's, it's free. A gift, by definition, is free. The gift of God, the greatest gift, is free to man. No price tag. By the way, you couldn't buy it if you wanted to. A couple years ago, I was, for the first time, I was at uh, Ajax. I was at Faithway. Brother Jim, you were there at the conference. We were, I was there at Faithway where, of course, Brother Mark and Jellica or John used to be there until they kicked him out of the church. And uh, I was there at Ajax, and they had a coffee shop set up, the pastor's conference, and they called it Holy Grounds Coffee Shop. And they had these gray cups. Brother Jim, you remember them that said Holy Grounds. I saw them. I walked in the coffee shop, got coffee. By the way, the coffee shop was free. Whatever you wanted was free. So I took, every, I, took past, I took you there and bought you a coffee for free. It was free. And the first time I went there and got the free coffee, I said, hey, how I want to buy one of those cups. And the sweet young lady who was working there, she said, I'm sorry, Pastor. They're not for sale. I said, I want to buy one. Sell me one of those cups. And she said, I can't sell you one because they're going to be gifts. And I'll tell you how much of a prayer warrior I am. Guess who won one of the gifts? I wanted to buy it. Man, if they just said 20 bucks, but Jim, I'd, 20 bucks. If they just said 50 bucks, I'd have said, Jim, give them 50 bucks. I, I wanted it. I wanted it. But they couldn't sell it to me because it was a gift. The gift of God, it's a free gift. You can't pay for it. You can't be good enough for it. You can't be religious enough for it. You can't join a church for it. You can't confess your sins to a man for it. You can't take a sacrament for it. You can't get wet in a bathtub for it. You can only receive it. It's a free gift. It's a free gift. Whosoever believeth. The only, the only requirement is the belief to receive it. The gift of God comes through the righteousness of Christ. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter number 5. I want to read a verse for you very quickly this morning. Romans chapter 5 and verse 18. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one. That one is Jesus Christ. It's not you. It's not a pastor. It's not a priest. Uh, it's not a religion. It's Jesus Christ. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men to the justification of life. His righteousness, not your righteousness. You can't buy it. Many today go to God and say, God, I want, I want to buy salvation. I, I, I want to do something good. I, I, I want to stack my works up. I, I want to do a good thing. I want to join a church. I, I, I want to do a religious thing. I want a religious experience. God, will you accept me out? What's your price, God? 
says the price is already paid. You can't pay for it. It's free. God's gift to man is free. His righteousness is free. Number three, quickly this morning, God's gift to man is personal. It's personal. It's personal. Romans 10, 13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's personal for you, for me, whosoever. His only son, that's a personal gift. How many have ever re-gifted something before? Come on, be honest. How many of you are re-gifting something tomorrow? I probably will. We've done it. Oh, yeah, I, got, I forgot. I needed to buy a gift for him. Oh, yeah, we'll just give him that right there. We don't, we don't need that. No thought goes into it. No, no effort, just, oh, yeah. But it's a big difference when it's something personal. And you're trying to find a way to, to make folks understand that you're giving something personal from you specifically. God gave the most personal gift ever given. A personal Savior given to you. By the way, it wasn't given to a church. It was given to the world. The gift wasn't given to one group of people. It wasn't just given to the nation of Israel. It was given to the world. Nobody can claim exclusive rights to the gift of God because it's not theirs to claim rights to it. It's God's. The Bible says in Isaiah 9, 6, For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Every person, every person is offered salvation. After church, I have hot chocolate for everybody. I made it from scratch. You know, water, chocolate, that's it. I mean, homemade. Actually, it was church-made. I made it here this morning. But there are some here today that say, oh, Pastor Rice, I don't, like, I don't like hot chocolate. That's disgusting. I don't want it. You don't have to take it. You can throw it at Brother Jim. Uh, but you don't have to drink it. But it's going to be offered to everybody. In much the same way, the personal gift of God is offered to you. You don't have to take it. No one's, and definitely not God, is not going to force you to receive his gift. But it's personal. It's personal. My home, we have a fake fireplace. How many of you have fake fireplaces? Now it does, it, it does it's a gas thing. You can turn it on. My kids, my kids were surprised. I did turn it on one day this year. I'm pretty cheap, so I don't you know, run that too often. Turn it on one day, though. But I can't turn it on right now, even if I wanted to, because hanging on the mantle by the fake fireplace are Christmas stockings. And how many of you know they're pretty flammable? I like not dying, so I'm not going to light the, the fake fireplace. 
but there's several of them. Matter of fact, there's eight. Is it eight? Yeah, there's eight stockings hanging there. One of them is for my wife. It's going to be full of coal tomorrow. <laughs> and we can sell it and make lots of money. Praise God for, praise God for the carbon tax. Then there's one for me. <laughs> be voted out next week as pastor. <laughs> there's one for Rebecca. Uh, there's one for Josh. There's one for Lizzie. There's one for John. I'm not sure why John has one. And there's one for Hannah. And believe it or not, there's even one, I know, I can't believe I'm going to say it, there's one for Yeti. <laughs> there's not one for you. Now, my wife loves to get things for stockings. That's her, that's her speciality. So tomorrow morning, our family's going to have a wonderful time getting all the gifts that my wife is stuffing in there. I'm not going to go and get Yeti stocking. I'm not going to go get a chew toy <laughs> and chew on it. I, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to go get one of my girl stockings because there's probably just girly stuff in there. I don't want that. I'm going to get mine because it's for me. It's going to have things in it for me. It's personally mine. It's for me. Dear friend, this morning, can I tell you that the gift of God... It's for you. By the way, even if you don't receive it, he offers it to you. It's a personal gift. Number four, quickly, God's gift to man. I said it's personal. Number four, it's eternal. Eternal. How many of you parents have experienced Christmas, especially you with young kids, and you buy a present and you're so excited about it, they open the present, they play with it for one day, and they don't play with it again. Or, or they play with it, and the batteries run out before the day's over. And, you, and it's a toy you don't like anyway, so you go, all gone. <laughs> or maybe Dad took the batteries out because it was annoying him. You ever done that, Dad? And, oh, nope, doesn't work anymore. Or it breaks because you bought your Christmas gifts off Wish. Uh, you know, it doesn't last more than 30 seconds. <laughs> oh, it's no good anymore. It's broken. We've all experienced that. I had a suit about four or five years ago that I threw away. I had worn that suit since I was 17 years old. I've been the same size since pretty much since I was 13. I'd had the suit for, at the time, I think 25 years when I threw it away, or 30 years. That lasted a long time. I used to wear that thing on the bus. Uh, man, I wore it all the time. And it lasted longer than any suit should have ever lasted. But eventually, it wore out. Eventually, my wife said, you shouldn't wear that in public anymore. It's looking pretty bad. Because nothing lasts forever. Except eternal life. Remember, we used to buy appliances, refrigerators, freezers, and they'd last for 50 years. You remember that? I got a refreezer in my basement. Now, it's, it has an ice buildup. It, 
it's ridiculous. And my wife is curses that she doesn't really curse, but if she did curse, she would curse that freezer. <laughs> it was probably built in the 1960s. It's still running. But I bought a freezer about five years ago. I had to take it to the dump. You know why? Because it lasted about four or five years. Things don't seem to last nearly as long as they used to. But everything, no matter what it is, eventually wears out. It eventually stops. Except salvation. God's gift to man's eternal, eternal life. It doesn't just last until the Christmas decorations are gone. It doesn't require batteries, electricity, or a Wi-Fi signal. It's eternal. The gift of God's eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Material gifts wear out. I've got in my office, I think, I'm pretty sure, on the shelf in my office, I've got some thimbles. My grandmother was a sewer. She was a, a quilter and a, a sewer. And she would wear thimble on her finger when she was quilting. And I've got at least one, maybe two thimbles in my office and a shelf in there. And if you look at the thimble, it looks like a, a little miniature pasta strainer because it's got all kinds of holes in it. But my grandmother just couldn't throw things away. You know, she kept using it. But she probably stabbed herself every third time she put ah! But she just kept using it. She, I've, I've never seen another thimble as worn out as that one thimble of my grandmother's I have. She just kept using it until it was all, you could almost read the Bible through it. But eventually, it wore out. But the gift of God, the greatest gift, never wears out. Dear friend, if you're here today and don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, can I tell you that the, the best gift, the greatest gift, is the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But, number five, lastly, and I close with this, God's gift to man must be accepted. It must be accepted. An expensive gift is of no value unless it's accepted. An eternal gift is of no value unless it's accepted. A personal gift is of no value unless you accept it. God's eternal gift to you will do you no good. No good at all unless you're willing to accept it. 1 John 1.12 says, But as many as received him, to them gave you power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Here's the question. The question that a jailer asked years ago of Paul. The man who had a sword in hand ready to take his own life. Ready to end it all. Because the prisoners were escaping. And he realized his life was as good as dead. And he's ready to take his life. And Paul said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't, don't do that. Don't do yourself any harm. And that man, we know him simply as the Philippian jailer, looked at Paul and said, what must I do to be saved? What he was saying was, what must I do to receive the gift of God? Paul, great preacher, missionary, theologian, 
did not look at this man, this man ready to end his life and say, what you need to do is you need to go to church. I love the local church. I love gathering with the local church. I, I love being a part of a local church. But the answer to receive the gift of God is not to go to church. He didn't say, hey, uh, get baptized. The Bible's plain that baptism is a picture of what happens inside when we trust the Lord Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, this Wednesday night, we're baptizing two people. I'm excited about that. But he didn't say get baptized. He didn't say to the man, hey, you better, you better do some good things. You better, you better stop doing bad things. That wasn't the answer. It wasn't. You got to uh, get rid of this sin and that sin and this sin, and you got to stop doing that one because that was real bad. His answer was simply belief. Belief. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Belief. Dear friend, how do you receive the greatest gift ever given? Simply receiving. Simply believing. Believing what? Believing what the Bible says about my condition. The Bible says, for all have sinned and control the glory of God. I'm a sinner. And by the way, dear friend, whether you agree with it or not, you're a sinner. Say, so, Pastor, how can you say that? I didn't say it. God said it. We all come short. So, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty bad sinner. He's worse, but I'm not as bad as she is, or I'm not as bad as him. You're just as bad. We're all sinners. All of us. We all fall short of the glory of God. When I realize that, and I understand there's nothing I can do to make myself better. How many have ever been stuck in the mud, maybe with a vehicle? Ever been stuck? Ever been real stuck, like so stuck you ain't getting out? I've been there. Rebecca and I, one night, we were stuck in the muskeg out between White Court and Edson. Not Edson, White Court and uh, almost said Fox Vegas. Fox Creek, excuse me. <laughs> Those of you that work out there understand Fox Vegas. But I, I was, we were stuck. We were buried to the frame. The frame was underground. I had a winch in the front of my truck. I took the winch cable, went over, wrapped it around trees, got back, and I started deforesting Alberta. <laughs> yes, Rebecca, I spent two hours pulling trees out of the ground. We're in a muskeg. I was just, I needed, a, I needed a, a logging permit. I took so many trees out of the ground. We did not go anywhere. Rebecca was not happy. All of a sudden, the wolves started howling. I had the windows down. Rebecca's like, put the windows up, put the windows up. I called a friend who was working in Fox Creek or Fox Vegas. And I said, hey, man, I said, any chance you could come rescue us? And he managed, as a heavy equipment operator, he managed to get out and he came. and He got as close as he dared come. We ran the winch cable and straps, and I got it to him, and he was an even a, in an even bigger truck than me. And we worked and worked and worked until finally he got us out. I didn't get us out. 
he got us out. I, I, I couldn't do anything. Now, I hooked my line to him, but he got us out. When you realize and come to the understanding that all of your works, all of your trying to be good and all of your religion is just as useless as me trying to pull those trees out of the ground. And you stop and realize there's only one person I can call. And that's Jesus Christ. The Bible is true when it says that God sent his son. He came. He lived a perfect sinless life. He was beaten. He who had never sinned was crucified. He hanged on a cruel cross for you and for me. And he died. He suffered and bled and died. He was buried. But three days later, he rose again. That's the gospel. The death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the only power that I have to receive that wonderful gift. All I can do is receive it. By realizing Christ came to die, wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Realize there's no other way. Just as I realized that night, as I tried and tried and tried to get myself loose, Acts chapter 4, verse 12 says, Neither is there salvation in any other. By the way, there's not salvation in the church. Not salvation in the Baptist church. There's not salvation in the Alliance church. There's not salvation in the Catholic church. There's not salvation in any other religion. There's not salvation in a priest or a pastor or a teacher uh, or a shaman. There is no salvation anywhere except in Jesus Christ. The Bible says there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved, only through Jesus. Romans 10.10 says, For with the heart man believeth, believeth unto righteousness. I saw a picture the other day. I think it was from 19, trying to get my memory back. I think it was 1940, I think it was 45 or 47. Uh, Brother Jim, you were alive then. Do you remember which one it was? few years ago. I think it was 1947. And it was a photograph of the testing of the first bulletproof vest. This is, this is crazy. And there's a picture of a guy wearing a suit and tie. And he's got a bulletproof vest on. And he's standing there. And he's getting shot wearing the bulletproof vest. Now, the caption, it said it was the, the testing of the first bulletproof vest. Can I tell you what I believe? Brother Bonnie, I don't think that was the first test. I, I just don't believe, unless it was Brother Bernard, I don't think anybody's going to get in that vest and go, oh, you've never tried this before? Let's try it. Here, let me put it on. Go ahead. Shoot me. Let's see if it works. 
How many of you are going to line up for that job? And somebody in, somebody in here is going, how much does it pay? <laughs> now, what I think happened, the real history of the picture I saw this week from I think it was 1947, was they did some testing. <laughs> and they, they put it on a block of wood. They put it on a, a pig, probably. They probably wrapped it around a pig. I hope they roasted the pig afterwards. <laughs> I hope it was delicious. And... And they got back and poof, they shot it. And they went over and checked. Worked. You, you want to put it on and we'll see if it works on you? Shoot the pig again. So they went back and poof, went and checked. Oh, it, it, it works. Let's put it on you. No, no. Shoot the pig from a different angle. <laughs> I guarantee you it was tested and tested and tested and tested. Because they got somebody to say, okay, go ahead. By the way, I bet the person that fired the gun, I bet you the man who had that vest on had seen him shoot and knew that he was a good shot. I'm telling you right now, if I had to wear a bulletproof vest and I'm trusting somebody to shoot me, I'm not asking Brother Ma to shoot. Brother Maud said he's the, is it the best shot. He's the best shooter. He shoots more than anybody else. I'm going to make sure, man, you better hit the right. So I'm not going to shoot it either, Brother Maud. We'll get somebody else. i got to make sure somebody's going to hit it just right. But that person that wore that vest for that picture I saw this week, there is no doubt that they believed the vest worked. They believed the person shooting the gun could make the shot. They had confidence. They didn't sit at home and say, oh, yeah, I'd put that vest on. I'd let a mod shoot me if I was wearing the vest. And then he said, well, let's put it on. No, I'm not, I'm not going to put it on, but I, I think it would work. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to wear it, but I believe it works. No, they don't believe it. But the picture I saw this week, there was a man who said, let me show you. I believe it works. Go ahead. Go ahead. Shoot. Christian, the matter of the greatest gift ever given. For me to believe, I have to do more than say, oh, yeah, I believe in God. I have to be willing to say, yeah, I, I fully believe that he's my hope and that he's the answer. By the way, you can trust him. You can trust him. Romans 10, 13 says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. Tomorrow morning, someone's going to hand you a, a gift. It looks like a present. Say, here, this is for you. Now, in our culture, we're so accustomed. Oh, thank you very much. And you're going to go, oh, yeah, I know what this is. I don't want it, but I'll open it. Thank you very much. Oh, yeah, another pair of underwear. That's exactly what I needed. Thank you. I've been waiting for that. Oh, socks. Imagine that. Not even any money in the socks. Why didn't you give me money? But you'll receive it. Probably tomorrow, no one's going to hand you a gift, and you're going to. Pretty rude, wouldn't it? 
I mean, somebody went to the trouble of shopping, spending time dealing with parking lots this time of year. That's worth far more than rubies. And then they wrapped it or they did or they did like I used to do. I'd say to my girls, little, here, here, wrap these gifts for me. Uh, they, they did a better job than me. They wrote your name on it. May I misspelled it. I remember years ago when I was a little boy, I got presents from my aunts and uncles, and I have an aunt named Julia, and I spelled it Aunt J-U-L-Y, Aunt July. <laughs> you know, I was, I was really little, maybe 17 years old. <laughs> but they went to the trouble of addressing it and, and buying it, and, and you wouldn't say, no, I, I don't want can I tell you what God did? He spent the most that's ever been spent. He gave everything. He personalized it for you. And he says, I have a gift for you. But sadly, there are some who could testify today that maybe the first time you were offered the gift of salvation, you said, no, I don't want it. I don't want it. I saw a picture this week. My mom sent to me. She was going through pictures, and she found a picture that was the day she got baptized. The picture of my mom and my dad and me and my little sister standing outside the little Bowles Air camper that we lived in in Ruskin, Florida. My dad was working construction, living in the camp in the trailer park there as we were, he was there working building coal silo. A man came to our home to share the gospel, to share the gift of salvation. And the story is not that when they were offered that gift. She didn't say, oh yeah, I want to receive it. She said no. Another time and another time and another time, over and over, no. No. But praise God, there came a point two and a half months later I remember watching as my mother bowed her knee in that little camper that we called a house. And she called on the Lord Jesus Christ as her Savior. And she said, I'll accept your gift. I'll receive the gift of salvation. Your friend, maybe this morning you've, you've been around the gift before. Maybe you've heard about it. Maybe it's been explained, but you've, not right now. You know, if I tried to give you a gift today and you tell me no, I'm probably not going to give you another one. I'm probably not, you don't want my gift? Forget you then. But can I tell you that God, the Bible says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Would you open your heart to him today? Would you believe today? Would you reach out and grasp eternal salvation by grace through faith and believe?
greatest gift. The greatest gift is Jesus Christ. The greatest gift is salvation. And every person here can receive that gift. How wonderful. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you.